Welcome to Bedside Matters. This is the podcast that happens to address medical issues that impact every single one of us every single day. We'll hopefully give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and healthier. I'm one of your hosts, Peter Tilden. I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper and Anna Vicino, and we've got some important subjects to get to today. I, re- I can't wait to hear about this. There's a new study that came out about giving people sweets at breakfast, and was it helpful to the rest of their day or not? Uh, plus, we're going to be discussing magnesium. Magne- I take magnesium, so I want to hear all about this. Also, if you hate shots, if you're scared of getting a shot or you like you anticipate the pain, and this just happened, I think David's going to tell us about a potentially painless way to get shots in the future, which is cool. And then we've got a caller who has a question about shingles, because that's been in the news a lot. And you can't turn on the TV without seeing them push the shingles shot. So we want to know all about that. So let's get started. Okay. There's a study. There's... <laughs> Doc, please. I know that there's the there's the debate always on calories in, calories out versus what you're actually eating. And this study apparently allowed people to... Some, some people in the control group added like donuts to their breakfast? And was it helpful? Was it not helpful? Please describe the study. It sounds crazy and it makes me feel nauseous just thinking about it. But I love this story. I, I, this was one of my favorite stories of ever. But I will advise anyone listening to this, if you have children between the ages of 5 and 12, get them out of the room because you don't want them to hear this story. The Israelis did a very interesting study about what is the optimal diet. And everyone has got a plan. Everybody's got a a gimmick. Here's what they found. There are three things that go into dieting. One is how can we reduce our hunger? How do we increase our satiety, our sense of fullness? And then how do we restrict our cravings? And if we could do all three of these things, we would have some durable weight loss ideas. And, And we've never really been able to put all this together. So what they found was they took two groups. This is interesting. They took two groups, 100 people in each group. They were all obese. They were non-diabetic. And they divided them into two different diets. And they started with the breakfast meal. And one group for breakfast, they, first of all, they all were on very high-protein diets. And the high-protein reduced your hunger. So that was universal to both groups. Then they looked at calories and they put them both on low calories. The first group had a very low calorie breakfast of 300 calories. The second group were a little more liberal. They had 600 calories. And then they divided the groups in this way. So the first group got a 300 calorie diet. They got a lot of protein, but their breakfast meal uh, consisted of things like tuna, low-fat milk, things that were really low in in interest and low in carbohydrates. <laughs> and flavor and, and living your life. Low-fat milk. There's nothing sadder, in my opinion, than low-fat milk. I'm sorry. Especially with, with your spoonful of tuna for breakfast. I mean, <laughs> Enjoy I your- can't wait to get that kitchen. <laughs> Enjoy your water milk and your, and your canned tuna. They did give you a little egg white was in there. But anyhow, the wow. second group, wow. the second group went to 600 calories But they also went into a high-carb diet. And then at the end of that, they were each given either a cookie, a piece of chocolate cake, or a donut for dessert. Oh, my God. This is why I want the children out of the room. 
And what they found was that after 16 weeks of these diets, the two groups both lost on average 33 pounds. So the diets worked. Then the next 16 weeks, at the end of that period of time, what they found was that the first group with the very low calories and the, the tuna low guys. carbs, yeah. the, the tuna fishers. The tuna water milks. Those people averaged a weight gain of about 22 pounds, whereas the dessert for breakfast group lost an additional 15 pounds. Yes. Eating cake with your... And by the way, I love getting the children out of the room. David, the children, have you gone down a cereal aisle for children? <laughs> it's all sugar. <laughs> this is probably less sugar than they normally get. But why would eating sugar, what does that metabolize? What does that do in your body? Is it a satiation thing that lasts the rest of the day? Yes. Controls your a, glucose level? It reduces cravings. That's exactly right. But how long does that last? So I got it. So all of a sudden you spike, you get that energy hit, but it's the beginning of the day, so you're going to burn energy anyway. That's when you need it. But what does it do to your hypothalamus or your brain or whatever messaging or satiance that says to your body, don't need to hit it again? Well, one of the things that it does is that it reduces the ghrelin, which is your I want to eat hormone. That's the hormone that says you want to eat. So they studied the ghrelin levels after breakfast, and they found that the dessert group decreased their ghrelin production by 45%, whereas the, the first group that was restricted, their ghrelins only went down 30%. So there was a tremendous decrease in the amount of hunger hormones that came out of that. So can I ask a question though, with the, with the larger calorie group, are they adding some sort of fat in? Because fat will help with satiety. So even if you have sugar after you have some fat, you'll feel better. You won't like go crazy hungry afterwards. I see why those people eating the restricted calories and no fat were like, I'm, I'm so hungry. I want to, I am hungry hearing them eating that. So that's a very, very smart question. And the fat issue was not factored into this conversation mm, or into these okay. metrics. But they then, the Israelis then extrapolated beyond breakfast and they found that the ideal diet would be to have the dessert for breakfast diet no no carbohydrates at lunch and no sweets for dinner and those people those so do people your carbs early in the day so you can work them off while you're awake and a group in australia in sydney uh confirmed this same theory that you have most of your calories early in the day and that led to sustained weight loss uh, they also noted that cholesterol levels and blood sugar levels also improved on these diets. So it's an interesting idea. Um, interesting. You know what I'm hearing? Carvel, now open for breakfast. <laughs> You're a <laughs> right. whale of a dad. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come you to know, Ben and Jerry's for that special Grand Slam we've got now. Have a Ben and Jerry's crepe on us. I don't know about out here because I was on radio early morning, so I didn't see behaviors. But when I lived back east, and I didn't move out here until I was like 30-something, and anybody who lived back east in New York, whatever, everybody gets up in the morning and is standing in line at Dunkin' Donuts to have a large coffee and some huge <laughs> donut glaze, whatever thing. Yeah. So I guess the, the problem with that is they continue eating all day other stuff. But the sweet breakfast thing is not an anomaly for kids or society. But these people on this study were all obese. 
So they started out like those guys in line at the Dunkin' Donut shop. They were all over. That's incredible. That's incredible. And you know what? It's interesting because I've gotten in this habit of not eating breakfast and it's not done me that good. And I've noticed that like if I will eat more in the morning and lunch, then I won't overeat at dinner. So it sounds like kind of common sense. Here's another thing that happens with carbohydrates. And I'm sure you know this is that you need carbohydrates for your brain to function. So those of us that skip breakfast for whatever reason, at, at a certain point, your brain is saying, throw me some carbohydrates. And then what happens is you end up not sitting down for a proper meal, but you start going for the wheat thins or anything that has carbohydrate in it. You have wheat thins? Do I have wheat thins? I'm just I'm just using some example of a carbohydrate snack. No one suggested you were getting any kickback from the wheat thin. <laughs> from big wheat thin? From big wheat, the big wheat But thin. if truth be known, I happen to love wheat thins, if we're going to get off on that tangent. So do I. I. It was a good suggestion. It was a great suggestion. Peter, your favorite snack would be? A piece of crisp bread with the Yarlsberg cheese. I love carbs and I love dairy. Anna, can you give us an honest answer on your snack preference? My favorite snack versus what I actually have for a snack, I probably cheese and crackers, but I don't have crackers. So <laughs> so it's cheese. So it's cheese. But I mean, like if I were to be able to, if I ate carbs, it would be cheese and crackers. But instead I have cheese, salami, nuts, like that kind of, or olives, like that's what I have for snacks. Well, that's me. It's cheese and uh, Brussels sprouts, but I don't eat Brussels sprouts. So it's, <laughs> it's cheese. Laura, yours? Well, it's funny you should say it because recently I started eating in the morning a little French roll with a piece of like racelette cheese or something, the stinky cheese. I melt it. It's delicious. Oh and I, yeah. And I'm not hungry the whole day. And I've actually lost a few pounds. That's awesome. I'll knock somebody down to get them out of the way if they're holding cake to get to the cheese and the bread. Or do you I, feel I'm, the same I'm way? Yeah, isn't that what is that, David? What's that telling you as far as I, I'm lost on stinky cheese? What's the stinky cheese? <laughs> it's a Swiss melting cheese. Oh, oh my god, it's yeah. so what's good. it called again? Say it again. Raclette, I think is yes, it. R A C L E T T E. I had it in France, and it was so delicious that I had to find it, and she found it. <laughs> All right, so for those who are listening, you can bring the kids back into the room now because we're moving on. Speaking of diet, I've been hearing great things about magnesium and, you know, looking for a broad spectrum magnesium. And what, what do, do we need to be supplementing this? Can we get it in our diet? What's going on with magnesium? I'm particularly interested in this because I'm always asked by patients, should I just take magnesium? And it's for everything. No matter what they have, they want to know if they should take magnesium. And for some reason, they all tend to respond to it. But the, the bottom line is that magnesium is critical for all these different body functions that we have. We need magnesium for blood sugar regulation, muscle and nerve functioning, uh, blood pressure control, and also DNA synthesis. We need magnesium. And there are a few other things. So yes, we need magnesium. And to answer your question, Anna, we don't make it naturally. It's a mineral that we have to get through our diet oh. and or supplements. And most people don't 
get enough magnesium in their diet. So what is it in? It's in it's in beans, leafy green vegetables like spinach, pumpkin and chia seeds, nuts, whole grains, dairy, and dark chocolate. Oh. So two of those I'm in for, but yeah, exactly. so we don't get enough in our diet generally. So supplements. So what do we know about supplements? There are a lot of different kinds of supplements with magnesium. They're not all well absorbed, so you have to look on the on the labels. You want the magnesium, either the glycinate or the magnesium citrate. Those are the ones that are best absorbed. We need about three to four hundred milligrams a day of magnesium. So as you're picking your supplements, look for that. You can't overdose on supplements because the supplements are, I mean, if you do, you're going to get I was going to say, you'll feel something if you you'll, take You'll too get much a little nausea, diarrhea, you'll get some GI side effects, but it's pretty hard to do that. But isn't that why, isn't that why milk of magnesia existed to take if you were constipated? Because you're basically taking extra magnesium to make you go to the bathroom? You know, I don't know the answer to that question, but it makes some sense, doesn't it? I just I know my grandmother always had the milk of magnesia, so I think she was a bit a bit plugged up. So let's let's talk for a minute. This is sort of interesting. And these are all the questions that I get in my office. Let's see if you guys can figure this out. Why would magnesium help with stress? Any guesses? It's got to be infl- you always go to inflammation. Probably, yes. It's supposed to help you sleep, so maybe it helps you relax? Yes, that's an answer. What's been studied is that people that are chronically stressed have low blood magnesium levels. And by supplementing with magnesium, they do better. But you said one thing, Anna, that's that's right, sleep. It helps with sleep. And people that are higher in magnesium, first of all, magnesium promotes a GABA release in the brain. So gabapentin, as we've Mm -hmm. discussed, is a natural neurotransmitter that's calming. The more magnesium, the more GABA, and people that are taking magnesium supplements tend to sleep sooner, they get to bed sooner, and they stay asleep longer. So sleep, yes. David, what Uh, naturally depletes magnesium? If I have a deficiency, ah, is it genetic Ooh, genetic, question. or am I doing something? Is it workouts? Is it sweating? Is it is it? That's a great question, Peter. What depletes it naturally is not taking enough of it in from a dietary standpoint. But what also depletes it are certain medicines that are very common. And the way they do this is that they complex with the magnesium and the magnesium doesn't get absorbed. And listen to this list. It's a long list. So laxatives can do this. Antacids can do this. Antibiotics, certain antibiotics will uh, diminish the absorption of our magnesium. Blood pressure medicines are common, diuretics, diabetic medicine. So medications are a, are a big part of that answer. Do doctors usually tell people you're on this, we want to check your magnesium or you should take a supplement? Well, doctors don't usually check magnesium levels, be, again, because it's not, not something your body makes. So if you're checking a magnesium level, it's to see what you're eating and how you're supplementing. There's an interesting association, too, with bones and magnesium. And this one's this one goes back to other conversations that we've had about osteoporosis and how bones age. Two cells in a bone, there's an osteoclast, those break down bone, and there's an osteoblast, that's a cell that makes bone. And throughout our lives, as we're growing, there's a constant 
relationship between how you're breaking down the end of the growth plates in the bone and then adding more bone and therefore growing. So what low magnesium does, low magnesium causes a decrease in your osteoblasts, you're not forming as much bone, and an increase in the activity of the osteoclast, which is breaking down bones. So low magnesium can lead to osteoporosis and fractures. Um, Headaches, and Peter, this gets to what you said, magnesium regulates inflammation. It also increases blood flow in the brain. So people that are low in magnesium tend to get more headaches and those you supplement their magnesium levels and the headaches can get better. So if you're suffering from headaches, regardless of the cause, whether they're migraines, whether they're stress headaches, you might try supplementing with magnesium first as a simple approach and see what that does. There's another benefit, and let's see if we can figure this one out for blood pressure. Why would magnesium help lower blood pressure? And if you think back to the conversation, I think this was in our last show about the topical medication for erectile dysfunction. Remember how that worked? Blood flow. Blood flow. It stimulates nitric oxide production. Nitric oxide is a vasodilator. It dilates the the blood vessels and there's more blood flow. Good, Peter. Diabetics, it's an interesting issue. Uh, With diabetes, you have high sugars, right? And, And that sugar has to be eliminated in the kidneys through the urine. And when you're eliminating sugar through the urine, you're also pulling out other things. One of those things is magnesium. So diabetics tend to be pulling out magnesium when they're, because their sugars are high. So if you're diabetic, you might want to consider supplementing with magnesium because you're losing it just from the diabetes. You may also be losing it because of the diabetes medicines. So if you're diabetic, think about that. Is it that it's not that expensive, right? Magnesium, as long as you're finding the right use of magnesium glycinate and citrate. Right. And there's a thousand magnesium supplements. So look for the glycinate or the citrate. Uh, David, before we move on to, hey, this just happened, because you're talking about supplements and stuff, I'm seeing more commercials for, um, I'm taking this and it's a, it has like 800 vegetables and stuff and it has the daily requirements and that, and shoved in there and I'm healthier and I feel better, whatever, for people who, because we're talking about all the stuff that people don't eat, can't eat, green leafy vegetables, or, or, or they don't sell it in your neighborhood or produce is too expensive. Can you get that stuff in a pill? Does that translate into a pill, the vegetables you're not getting? When you read those, it's got 800 vegetables and one chewable. No, you can't. Because part of the problem with that, I mean, first of all, they do load all that stuff in. But this has to go through your GI tract. And when it goes into the stomach, the stomach breaks these things down. And they don't all get into the bloodstream where, they, where you want them. So there's a little bit of a hype. To, and I don't want to name the product, but it drives me nuts every time I see that commercial. And I see that commercial on, you know, five times on All every the time show. Though, I watch. Yeah. Yeah. But no. And, you know, it's, it's like the advertising they got for the, uh, and again, I won't name the product, but something that came from Octopus that makes your brain better, your memory better, and, and all these testimonials. And that's been debunked a hundred times. And, and all as the smart as the literature. Octopus is, remember, 
they can't escape sushi restaurants. So how smart are they? Let's go to let's go let's let's go to speaking of octopus. This just happened. They may be aiding and abetting us when it comes to people who hate the pain of shots, right, David? Yes. And the question here is what's the best way to deliver medication? Well, the single best way to deliver medication is a shot because it gets right in your bloodstream, it bypasses the GI tract, so you're getting the, the real deal. So the Chinese and the Swiss modeled a new delivery system for medications, primarily pills, and some injectables that for people didn't, didn't want the shots, which is everyone. And they created these little suckers that were modeled after an octopus sucker. They were very tiny, I'll show you how tiny they are. Take your index finger and, and bend it so that the tip is facing down. That little uh, crest that goes horizontally across, that's about two and a half centimeters or one inch. These little patches were about a third of that size. So they're very, very tiny and they're made out of rubber. And when you put them into the cheek, they stretch out. And they ran this experiment. They, they created these little suckers, and they filled the suckers with a medication. This medication was Desmopressin. It's a kind of medication that we use for a number of different things. But, and what was more interesting is about where they put them and who got them, which were beagles. They took these dogs, and they put them in beagles. And so they put the Desmopressin in these little... Uh, small filled suckers and they also delivered the same medicine in a control group by pill and the same medicine by injection and what they found after three hours that the little suckers the patches uh, increased the amount in the in the bloodstream by about 150 times over the pill didn't do much for the injections but as a delivery system because again it bypassed the stomach and the gastric acids, and it went right into the bloodstream. So then they tried this again with another medicine, the semiglutides. We've talked about these a hundred times, and those are very large molecule medicines. And they had the same results, uh, that they found that these, these medications were delivered in a much better way. And so obviously we're gonna try to extrapolate this concept. And if you think about kids specifically, if some of these shots can be put into these little suckers, these patches, um, and other medicines that we all take, whether they're antibiotics, whether they're diabetic medicines, blood pressure medicines, that have to pass through the GI tract, they're going to get muted down and we're not going to get good blood levels. So this is really interesting technology and it's, it's there. What percentage of the population can't take a shot? Everybody can take. A no, shot. I know that. But are, are there some? Is there a fear where they won't take? Where they won't get it? Where you can't give that patient a shot? Well, I'm proud to be a member of that percentage. <laughs> um, I would say, I would say maybe twenty percent. And I will say with pride, it's the men that are the worst at this. Women patients are so easy with. Okay, sure, I'm okay with that. Men. Uh, you know, I'm going to wait on this. This was a big issue, by the way, with vaccines that I see every year. So a woman will come in, and again, I don't mean to generalize, but I, this has been my experience. And you say, it's time for your flu shot. Okay, great. Man comes in and says, oh, you know what? 
I got the flu the last time I got a flu shot, or I'm told that they're dangerous, or the last time I took one, my arm swelled up so bad and I got so sick, I'm just going to, and I never get the flu. So that's what I hear with men. I could actually give them a card so they don't even have to go through it with me saying, I'm a big chicken. And you are chicken with the shot. I don't care about shots. Laurie, Laurie, you, Anna, that bothers me? No, nothing. That couldn't, couldn't bother me at all. I mean, it's a zero. Peter, you don't get shots. I get every shot. I get shingles. I get flu. I got all the shots. But they don't, I don't, it never bothered me. David, you give shots. The needle is so tiny. I, it opened my eyes that, wait, you can get different size needles? The doctors from the past were giving me needles and they could have bought smaller needles? This was not because I'm kind, but because I'm fearful. And, I, <laughs> and I'm a little empathic, so I know what that, that feels like. It really but, is. The first time I saw that, I went, wow. You mean others can do this too, but they don't. And again, segueing from needles to needles, um, our caller has a question that involves getting a shot. Hey, Dr. Kipper. Can shingles cause death, like what happened to Diane Feinstein? Well, that's an interesting and complicated question. And the answer is theoretically yes, but generally no. But what shingles can do, and this happened, unfortunately, to Diane Feinstein, was that she suffered a complication from her shingles, which was the Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. And just think about Justin Bieber, who was in the news about a year ago, who had this very same thing. Remember, they showed a lot of images that his face was uh, contorted. And right. so Ramsey Hunt, it affects a specific nerve in the face and it causes a distortion. Most of those go away. They don't all go away. But often what happens when people get Ramsey Hunt is that leads to encephalitis. And this is what happened with Diane Feinstein. She got Ramsey Hunt, then she got encephalitis, and encephalitis increases the amount of fluid in the brain, and so the swelling in the brain, coupled with the paralysis that they get of their facial muscles, leads to a lot of different changes. They get personality changes, they get seizures, they're confused, they have hearing and visual impairment. And if you look at somebody that has Ramsey Hunt, or and encephalitis, where they have these other sort of behavioral issues, it looks like they had a stroke. And this is what a lot of people felt that Diane Feinstein had was a stroke. But this is not what she had. She actually recovered from the Ramsey hunt and the encephalitis. So she didn't die from this. We're not really sure. The autopsies have been revealed, but they don't really show a specific cause of death. Um, she was 93, so she had other reasons for her demise, and she had other health problems. To answer the caller's question, uh, no, it's not likely that you're going to die from that. But let's talk about shingles for a minute, because it's really interesting, and this is another time in our lives that we have a vaccine that prevents this. Shingrex, Peter, which you mentioned, it's been around for several years now. Prior to that, we had something called Zostavax. And Zostavax was a shingles vaccine that 20 years ago, many of us took. It was about 60% effective and it lasted about 10 years. Shingrex is 97% effective and it lasts your whole life. So this is a good vaccine. You need it's one a, treatment or two. You need two. And these are not pleasant 
shots. I will say this is a vaccine that stimulates the immune system in a way that you're likely to have a couple days where you're not feeling well. But it's all those things you get from a vaccine. You, you feel like you have a bad flu and headache and chills, and you just feel miserable. How far do you space them? Between three and six months, you take your second one. And there are people that have had a bad reaction to the first one that have no reaction to the second one and vice versa. But I strongly recommend this because this is a terrible disease that can have lifelong problems. Shingles, the zoster virus, is a reactivation of the varicella virus. So they're close cousins. And the varicella virus is chickenpox. And in the 50s, in the early 50s, we were seeing 3 million cases of chickenpox a year. In 95, the vaccine came out. And that cut that number way down. The problem is, even those people that were injected with the vaccine, and these are kids that were, at this point in life, they're now 30 years and older, they're still susceptible to zoster because you can get an asymptomatic varicella or chickenpox illness even with the chickenpox vaccine. So we're vulnerable out there. And so people that either had chickenpox or even had the vaccine, I strongly recommend that you consider getting Shingrex. They recommend that you do this over age 50 or over age 60, depending on what you read. I think that starting at age 50, you should consider this. Remember, your immune system wanes. Why is it that this virus comes out? There are a lot of reasons, but the primary reason is aging and a change in your immune integrity. So as you get older, that's a likely thing to happen. So we're seeing, we see this more often in older people, but now we're starting to see shingles in a younger age group. The virus itself hides out in one nerve root on one side of the body. So early detection is very important. If you get a rash on one side of your body that's really painful, it's a nerve rash. I mean, it's a burning rash. You know something's wrong. Or you get um, just the rash without the pain. And again, the rash is on one side of the body. It looks like a viral rash. It's, it's red. It's sort of pustule. And it's, it's an ugly rash. So a one-sided rash or pain syndrome, you have to immediately think shingles. And if you start an antiviral at that point, you can knock it out. If you wait five days, seven days, you're in trouble. With the freezing of the faces, I was curious, David, my grandmother had Bell's palsy. By the way, my parents went on vacation and left my grandmother to watch the house. The dishwasher was broken, the refrigerator was broken, the air conditioner was broken, and when they opened the door, her face was half frozen. My goodness. So they knew how things had gone. That was the first time I ever experienced it, and I heard that you can get up so from no a draft. So no tip for your grandmother on that <laughs> event. What is, what's the difference? I thought Justin Bieber, when I saw his face, was frozen half of it. That's what Bell's palsy looks like. Yes, and Bell's palsy is, uh, it's the trigeminal nerve, it's the facial nerve, and that's a different virus that can cause that. But again, shingles can get into that same nerve complex. But Bell's palsy is not, does not last and is not as, as So Bell's palsy, although it tends to be self-limited, can also be permanent. So people that get Bell's palsy, anytime you get any kind of facial paralysis, go to your doctor. Because there are antivirals, there are steroids, there are things to do 
doesn't always work, but it's, it's worth a visit to the doctor. I have a story about my grandmother watching my brothers and I when my parents went on vacation, and this circles back to what we're talking about. She was a horrible cook, and it's now Sunday, and my parents are coming home Sunday night, and she says, what would you guys like for dinner? And I'm not having any of it, whatever she decides. And I said, you know, I'm, Grandma, I'm just not feeling that great. So I went into bed to make it look real, but I was watching TV or something. I was fine. And then my parents come home, and I can hear at the door, my gra- grandmother says, well, you know, David David didn't have dinner tonight. He, he, he thinks he's getting sick. And I'm thinking, right. And my mother <laughs> comes in. And she looks at me and she yells, Aaron, the name of my father, come on in here. I think David's got chicken pox, which I did. I had chicken pox. I didn't know it. It oh, was wow. my way of getting out of dinner. <laughs> but back to chicken pox. Now the food was really bad. You got chicken pox on <laughs> <Wow>. purpose. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. All right. Well, anybody else before we go? Grandmother story? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going I'm to save mine right. for later. So let's recap. Um, if you want to go ahead and rush the kids out of the room again, we are we talked about serving breakfast, a dessert with breakfast. So calories and carbs early in the day will lead to weight loss. And if you continue this and you limit the carbs at lunch and you limit the sweets at dinner, you will have a sustained and durable weight loss. Love it. And then magnesium. We went down the magnesium rabbit hole and learned some things. Really important for a lot of different bodily functions. We don't make it naturally. It's a mineral that we either have to get from our food or a supplement. So if you're having trouble on any health issue, whether it's diabetes, blood pressure, osteoporosis, um, migraines, all of these things, stress, depression might be related to low magnesium. Ask your doctor to check your magnesium levels and to supplement, you want between three and 400 milligrams a day of magnesium. All right, and this just happened. We found out about shots that don't sting anymore. So there is a new technique which parallels what a sucker looks like on an octopus. It was developed by the Chinese and the Swiss, and it's a delivery system. You put the medicine into this little sucker, you put it inside your cheek, you let the medicine get absorbed, and it has tremendous value in delivering medication because it bypasses the acids in the stomach that break down the pills and the other medicines that we take and don't have such a high level in the bloodstream. So this is just another alternative, and it may... um, help mitigate the fear of some of those people out there that are afraid of shots. And then, hey, what about me? Our caller asked about shingles because it was in the news that Diane Feinstein may have died with complications of shingles. Get your Shingrex vaccine. If you're over 50, get the vaccine. If you can't remember if you had chicken pox or if you were vaccinated for chicken pox or if you had chicken pox, doesn't really matter. You still may have had an asymptomatic infection, and it will, it will save you a lot of aggravation and potential medical bills down the line. And also, if you're going to get cheese, get the stinky cheese called raclette. Raclette, raclette cheese, which I'm going to do right after the show. Isn't it sad that I write that down from the show and I'm going to rush out? <laughs> he just wrote stinky, I can't wait. I can't wait. Must for buy. This to be over so I get my raclette. Laurie does this to me all the time. She always says, I. There are certain people that can eat and make it look good. 
You know, like on TV, you see somebody eating, you oh my gosh, that looks so good. That's Laurie. When she's drinking or eating, you want whatever she's You want she whatever has. she's having. I'm going to try right. the raclette. So there well, you go. Maybe we need to add a segment called Laurie's Recommendations. Yes. Yes. I'm, apparently, we're a, we're a food motivated group. <laughs> we are. But you know what? Why not? Why, Why not? not? Why not? And by the way, if you guys out there are listening and you have a question that you'd like answered by Dr. Kipper, head on over to bedsidematters.org, pop in your question, and we might just answer it on the air. Yeah. And I'd like to thank Dr. Kipper. Of course, the book is Override. Every day we talk about some behavior, something that's going on, procrastination, et cetera. And it all comes from your brain chemistry. If you want to understand it, if you want to maybe change your behavior, you're doing stuff you're not happy with and you think I'm stuck, get Override. The easiest way to do it is just go to bedsidematters.org. It's right there. And of course, Anna Vicino, all of her stuff is there, the cookbooks, the recipes, all gluten-free, grain-free, low-carb. You'll see the rubs. You'll see the sauces. That's anavicino.com. Again, just link on our site at bedsidematters.org. It's the easiest way to get the book and a sauce. What a combination. And by the way, of course, thank you for listening to Bedside Matters. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're here to help. We offer new episodes every Monday, so follow us, like us, and have a wonderful week. The information on Bedside Matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.